The Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service now presents a special presentation of the Independent Living Center of Niagara County's Meet the Candidates Day 2022. This originally occurred on October 27, 2022. It featured candidates from the Niagara County region um, running in various races in this year's election. Welcome again. Welcome again to uh, Independent Living in Niagara County's annual Meet the Candidates Night. A um, little housekeeping, uh, we're gonna have each candidate talk a little bit about themselves, their background, uh, why our vote is important, and then answer questions from both the Zoom room and here uh, live at our, 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 our building. Our first candidate is David Meridian, who's a candidate for Assembly, New York State District 145. David. Thank you. Uh, I'm gonna look at you folks so I can, <laughs> the folks at Zoom, hopefully I, uh, uh, it's good as well. Um, I, I am Doug Meradian. Uh, I'm running for the New York State Assembly in the 145th district. Uh, this is the first time we've actually had a race in six years since 2016, there hasn't even been an opponent. So um, I am challenging for this seat uh, this year. Um, I am born and raised in Niagara Falls. My mom taught at Gaskill. I went to high school uh, on the corner, what I like to call the Niagara Falls High School, uh, the original. Um, and I actually have worked in healthcare for almost 20 years or just about 20 years uh, on the medical equipment and supply side, uh, also in pharmaceutical um, and software. Uh, what's interesting to me, and I'm looking forward to your questions, is that even with my experience and why I think it gives me some frame of reference um, to talk about certain issues and we'll get into that. Uh, it's not specific. My career was not specific in serving folks with disabilities and that is unique. So I look forward to your questions and I don't pretend that just because I've worked in healthcare for, for that amount of time that I know, because uh, I don't. Uh, your needs and your priorities, I've, I've learned a little bit uh, over the last week or so uh, so I look forward to your questions, but that's that's a bit about me. I'm a father. I have two young boys. We live in Wheatfield now. Uh, lovely wife who puts up with me not being home the last few months. So, um, but that's it. That's it for me. And I look forward to your questions. Questions tomorrow? Yeah, I'm sorry. My name is Jeanette. Hi, Jeanette. What is your plan? to improve housing for people with low income. Apartments are extremely expensive. 1,000 to 1,500 a month. In, and a lot of single parents don't have that kind of income. So what is your plan to improve affordable housing? Well, thank you. The question has come up, um, not just for folks who, it's come up, come up for folks who are um, subsidized, unsubsidized, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you're renting or where you're renting from. It seems like we have seen over the last year or so a, a huge increase in the cost of rent. Uh, so the answer to your question, I don't know that I have a specific solution, but I do pride myself on being someone who listens, tries to get perspective uh, from both sides. And I pride myself in being a, a a doer, somebody who finds solutions, finds a path forward. If there's a will, there's a way is always kind of my motto. So we also have a unique situation in Niagara County where we have an abundance of, of uh, property, uh, but not all of it's livable. So how do we, so that maybe we can, I guess what I'm looking at is I, I always like to see if we can find a solution that serves two purposes. So we can make housing more affordable, make housing more available, and at the same time, maybe fix up some of the dilapidated housing that we have that just sits there. So um, maybe there's a creative solution to, to both problems. I don't know in the short term what the immediate solution would be to curb rents. Uh, one thing would be is to, get, is to raise the, the amount of assistance that, that folks receive, because I've, um, in my conversations and my research, have learned that it's uh, far less than what is necessary at, at this time, so. Thank you. Yes. Hi, um, I'm Ashley, I'm chair of the Board of Detail. <laughs> Thank also. you. 
um, but I'm wondering what your what your plans are. What is your platform? What ideas do you have for our yeah, absolutely. Well, and the city is part of the district. I, I try to I try to make sure that folks understand that while I'm born and raised here and Niagara Falls is close to my heart and will continue to be, my district expands from Grand Island all the way up to Youngstown. Okay. So it's all along the river. It's I've even got a piece of North Tonawanda, town of Wheatfield, town of Niagara, town of Lewiston, and village of Lewiston. Uh so it, it's but it's I think it's one of the most unique and, and beautiful districts in the state. It's also one of the most underserved. And it has been for decades. My entire life, um, we have seen our power, our parks, our casino. None of that money ever seems to stay here. I, I don't understand it. I don't know why it is. And I don't know why we're not making, putting up more of a fight about it. All right. So um, I used, to, I don't want to go over time, but I mean, I used to go back to school. I, I actually helped paint this weekend. Um, but I actually, I used to go back to school shopping on Main Street. I used to go for a milkshake at the Royal Chef. I mean, this was a bustling corridor. Um, by the time I graduated high school, it was all boarded up. It, it's the, 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 the decline has been so rapid, um, but yet we still have a park that sees more um, visitors than the other top 10 state parks combined. We have a casino that somehow can fund a new stadium for the bills, but can't fix our roads. We have a power authority that gives $90 million uh, to Buffalo for waterfront development, but yet it's in our backyard. So we have to have that conversation. That's my fight, right? Day one. Day one is the inequity that has been going on here for decades. Why do we not have a seat at the table? Why do we not get our fair share? And how do we shift that dynamic? Um, that's day one. I think my other priorities, which is making this a community that's safe for families, making it a place that people enjoy spending time, places where people feel safe, all of that, I hate to say it, money doesn't fix all the problems, but a lot of that stems from the fact that we get the support that we need. You know, we can we can expand programs if we have the funding. We can put um, maybe uh, more resource officers, not necessarily police officers, to in, interact with the community if we have the funding. We can do a lot of those things if the funding, if the programs are there. But if, if it's not, if we don't fight that first battle, I can't do the things I want to do for families and for kids. I've been involved with the Boys and Girls Club. I've been heavily involved with the hospital. We can, on a healthcare front, on an assistance front, all the things that we want to help with. It's very hard to do that if we don't have uh, the funds in place to begin with. So that's 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 going to be a fight I have to have on both sides of the aisle. I, you know, I, I got to convince people that, and, and I see, and I'm sorry, I don't want to I want to get to other questions. But when you go and you, it's, it's when you see the statistics, I think we all know it, we all live it. But when you see it broken down as a statistic, food insecurity, transportation, housing, we're worse than, we're lower than the national and state levels in almost every category. I mean, it, it's almost unheard of to think that we have the resources that we have, power, parks, casino. And yet we can't even make sure that people have access to decent food or transportation. I, I, that to me, I, I just don't see, um, I don't see how we aren't, um, how we are fighting that fight. We gotta fight that fight. And I was up near and dear to many of the people that we serve um, in the years ago, Shepherd, earlier this year, and I I'd say it's probably the thing I'm most eager about. I, I really like the idea of getting into office and hearing from folks and learning from folks. And, and um, I would have to then, you know, then you research why is it this way? Okay. It, it, that's the other thing too. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, is this right or is this wrong? You know, okay. Why is it this way? Is there something, you know, is it even, how can we change it? Is it easily changed? What's the process in changing it? So it's nice for people to come in and, um, and I'm not just saying my, I'm just saying in general, politicians come in and make promises. My promise is I'll listen, I'll learn, I'll take it forward. I'll try to find the answers. You know, I, I will make sure that I call you and say, I don't have an answer yet, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> um, those kinds of things. Uh, so I look forward to that. I look forward to the to the uh, learning curve, so to speak. But the other thing is too, I think there's a learning curve for other legislators. Me coming from healthcare, one of the things that I saw 
and, and I have come to find out when I started in healthcare um, 20 years ago, there were people in long-term care facilities. I'll use that as an example. I know it's not the same situation as, as working with folks with, with disabilities, but there were folks in long-term care facilities that now present day, or even you know, a few years ago, those folks are, are now being cared for at home months, year at a time. They're not going into a facility. They're still able to live somewhat, but they're able to be cared for at home. Not you folks, are, you're looking to help people live independently, okay? So I'm an advocate already for the idea that facilities aren't always the best option. I, I think it should be the, the last option. You know, having somebody at home, independent, productive is by far to me, and I've seen that firsthand. So that I can relate to, and I have that frame of reference, I have that empathy, I guess, so that I can start there. Like my starting point is a little higher, I think. While I'd have to learn specifics about the challenges uh, your community deals with, my, I think my starting point's a little higher. And I know a few of the acronyms too. There's so many darn acronyms in healthcare, right? I mean, every DSP, I'm learning about DSPs. And so it's, a, you know, so it's this, um, you know, that's, that's part of it too, speaking the language, you know, the, the language of our in, uh, industry, so to speak. Um, there's a learning curve there too, which I think I would kind of pick up on pretty quick. So, yeah. We've got time for one more question. Yes. This is a two-parter. Sorry about that. That's okay. I'll try, and I try not to be too long-winded. <laughs> All right. Um, in the past, right, we've had people come and speak before us during election time, and I know you said we make certain promises that you can't. And one is somebody promised, I think he was going for state senator back in the day, just talking about transportation from right here to my or places, or just people in general. Right. What, what the promise was, like, we've got a surplus now of 10 billion, which we no longer have, right? And we can put it into that system. What I'm saying is, is you do some research on that to see if things can be better. We're not mistaken, it's still an issue, right, Mark? Damn. You know what I mean? It shouldn't take all that time to go from here to life. Right? True. Yeah. And the second part is, is that um, I'll say jobs in the area. Everybody talks about jobs in the area. But when I asked the former mayor we had about hiring people with disabilities, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, we will. Never heard from him again. Same thing that they said. The thing about it is, once you come visit us right now, right? I'm not saying you can do everything, but just come by every now and again and say hi. Oh, something. my goodness. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just don't come one and done. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't think that makes you look good. But what did make you look good, you're one of Three people that's here today. Oh, absolutely. That's a plus. Oh, right. Listen, I know many things were sent out. So, just what can you do about transportation? What can you promise about jobs people disability? Thank you. Um, showing up is important to me, always has been. I actually worked on a very small level, used to help you know, folks who were in uh, part of the independent living because uh, we had a medical equipment store right there in Wheatfield. So, I'm familiar. Like I said, went to high school here, me coming down here, me, me going somewhere. I, I, that's my first choice is showing up in person. So thank you. As far as transportation goes, I think one of the things I really like to do, I'm not a career politician. I'm not, this is my first entry into politics, but I bring that perspective. Um, I like that my, and I've worked, the fact that I've worked in healthcare, but also from a business perspective, when you talk about transportation, there's so many uh, pieces to that, but they all should benefit. Okay. So how do we make it easier for folks to, uh, have access to transportation? How do we make it easier for folks with disability to have access to transportation? How do we make it easier for workers to have, right? So they all fall under that umbrella and we have to think of everybody, but everybody benefits. So it's not just like we need to fix this problem with transportation for folks with disabilities. We need to fix this problem with transportation because they're talking about creating a thousand jobs at Amazon and there's no bus route. So there's, there's no, I don't know whether these thousand people, if you're working for $15, $16 an hour at Amazon, you might not, and what the statistics tell us is that most people in Niagara Falls, an astounding number of people in Niagara Falls, don't have a car. So they use public, they rely on public transportation. So it's, what I look at it is, I look at that as a, a meaningful challenge because I can help so many different people. I can help that worker who's trying to get to Amazon. I can help those folks with disabilities. I can, right. How do we do this so that it benefits? If, 
that's, that to me, I look at that as a, a situation where a lot of people benefit. So let's try, let that, let's go after that, right? How we do it, I'll get back to you. But, <laughs> but, the, but I look at that as a, a situation where anybody mentions transportation to me, I say, look at all the people who would benefit if we could do, if we can get this done. If we can get this done, it would just be a huge benefit to so many people. So um, that would be, yeah. I mean, I, I, you can't have a conversation about economic development and creating jobs with an Amazon project and not have a conversation about transportation. You can't have a conversation about uh, being more um, uh, friendly to folks with disabilities and, and, and offer, you know, making sure more of them have opportunities at work without transportation. So um, a lot of people fall under that umbrella. So. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Just real quickly, um, the transportation. We need to have the transportation seven days a week. Uh, we can have some, but weekends, it's not fair. I live in North Tonawanda. There's a lot of different stores at the plaza, grocery shopping, blood work. I can't go on the weekend because there's no transportation. So we need weekend services as well. And my answer to that would be that's part of listening. You know, part of listening is, okay, it's not just enough to say we need transportation. It, those specifics that you mentioned, it needs to be these days, these times, to these locations. You know, that's how you start to really uh, chip away at, at, at make progress. Um, the other thing I would say is, and I, I know we're short on time, is, you know, what transportation looks like, what work looks like. Think about how much that's changed in the last six years since we had an election, you know, since we had a race. You know, so like I said, we haven't even had two people on the ballot since 2016. Our world has changed so much since that time. And transportation looks a lot different now than it did. Um, uh, ride sharing and such. And even work looks a whole lot different. Work from home and, and, and things of that nature. So um, maybe it's the other th part of it is too, is to rethink transportation, rethink work and what it looks like. And that's just part of... Uh, um, being, a, I think, a, a being a good listener and being open-minded, and I and I believe that I will do. I know that I will do that. That's that's my promise. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Where's my mask? Hold on. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. She'll stand here right hand side. Let me introduce you first. Where am I supposed to stand? Yes, right here. Our next candidate is Margaret Topper, who's yeah. yep, no here, yeah. uh, who's a candidate for Pendleton Town Council. She's going to talk a little bit about herself and and the town and why her our vote is important, and then we'll ask questions. Go ahead. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here and welcoming me to come and meet with you. I should put this down. Okay. I'm going to hit you. Just a little bit over here because she needs me on the camera. There you go. Okay, okay. You're fine. That? Yep, yep, that's good. I'm there to just get my side view. So, how do I get <laughs> like that? All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Margaret Topher. Nice to meet you. So, what would you like to know? A little bit about yourself, man. Myself? Okay. Um, retired. I have 30 years experience in higher education. I worked at Niagara County Community College for 25 years as the director of community education, worked at Damon College for four years as the assistant to the vice president for academic affairs and, and also director of extended studies. And then also while well, I was in graduate school in New York City at Teachers College Columbia University, I worked in the admissions office. Um, what else? Let's see, that's 30 years of my life. When I first got out of grad school in 1976, my first job was at Transitional Services. So I worked with that population of people coming out of Buffalo Psychiatric Center, the Emergency Hostel Service. And our job was to work with the clients to get them situated financially, emotionally, and ready to go into independent living in the community. So I worked with them. Also, I don't remember you know, now when that was, but I also worked for uh, Cerebral Palsy Association as a social rec coordinator. 
in let's see, the emergency hostel service, um, worked with group homes, as well as you know the buildings that Transitional owned at the time. So I've worked with populations that you know had special needs and worked in the community to help them find suitable housing, get them on you know public assistance, whatever they needed, and a day program of some sorts. And then in my higher ed administration experience, um, I developed programs, hired instructors, evaluated programs, uh, wrote reports, did contracts, partnerships with community agencies, government agencies, other colleges, school districts, uh, workforce development, you know, anything from college for kids, to driver ed for teenagers, to computer training programs, the licensed practical nurse program, emergency medical services, uh, computer classes, recreational programs, senior citizen programs. I've always had diversity in my background. You know, yes. You seem to have a lot of experience. What is it that you think you in government. Okay. I'm new to politics. I was asked by the Democratic Committee of Pendleton to run for town council. Okay. So I figured with my work experience, I'm not afraid to just go out there and contact whoever I need to contact to set up a program based on needs of the people. So in my role with town council, I would want to meet with different focus groups to find out what do the people of Pendleton want and then focus in that area. As far as people with special needs, uh, town of Pendleton has an amazing playground for people who are challenged. Um, it was one of the town council members wrote grants and supervised it. And it's just an amazing place to take anybody even adults, the way it's set up, it's, it's just phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. And on the Democratic Committee in Pendleton, uh, one of the women on the committee works at University of Buffalo, and it's the trade program. And what they do is meet with groups of people who are challenged to see what their needs are, assess them, and help them with maybe adaptive equipment or whatever tools they need to live you know a viable life in the community independently and that's a free service and they lend equipment um, so i would definitely set that up you know somewhere in pendleton there's the fire hall there's community churches uh, there's restaurants where they're very cooperative with the town to you know set up you know a back room or wherever open room to have a presentation and bring some equipment in and invite people to come and check it out. Um, I know there's a Lions Club in Pendleton that also helps people with different needs when there are special situations and there's a food pantry. Uh, Pendleton is a small town, so it's not like they have a big town budget like Amherst. Um, so I guess it would be more what I would have to find out what are the needs and then pull together what agencies could help them or what people need help and have a meeting of some sort and see where we could go with that. You've been running now for a couple months, you think? Since July 26th. So have you been door to door, What is the number one or a couple of issues that's going on in Pillington that well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> so far in my door-to-door -door asking people their concerns, most of the people in Pendleton are happy, believe it or not. There weren't many complaints. The complaints that I heard were, you know, uh, biggest was like, say, in front of Star Point High, you know, the school district, it's, you know, a big you know, elementary, middle school, high school in a row. They want a traffic light of some sort because there's accidents there with people going in and out of the you know, school grounds. And the other is they want a light 
on transit and Tonawanda Creek, because again, you have a lot of people rushing to work, whatever, people get killed there. As far as I've heard recreation, like, you know, repave the tennis courts, put in pickleball courts. Um, it is, it is. I was surprised. People did not complain. One woman wanted, um, you know, soccer fields in summer camps for kids on the town property because they have these big fields. I didn't hear a lot of complaints. I was shocked, believe me. I mean, I'm in an okay neighborhood, you know, I'm nice, but. Yes, yes. And I'd be open to posting, you know, groups of people who have special needs and see how we can help them. You know, whether it's, you know, again, inviting groups and agencies and seeing how we could work together, that's probably the best use, you know, that I could think of, of how to help. And also I'd be open to what other ideas people might have saying, could you sponsor this event from, you know, the democratic committee or something like that. That's how I got that other email was from someone on the committee who says, it's what I do for a living. You know, could you set up a group? And I said, sure. So I've done that with the college, you know, I, again, I was always assessing needs of the community setting up programs to meet the needs. Write grants, you know, could write grants. I've written that too. Any other questions? Uh, Ms. Toper, you're probably familiar with the Americans with Disabilities Act that was passed 32 years ago. Do you know, does the town of Pendleton have an ADA coordinator to assure that facilities are fully accessible to people with disabilities? Because I'm new to politics in the town, um, no, I do not know. But I do know that the town hall is has a ramp. I do know that Wendellville Fire Company, which people go there to vote, as well as have their committee meetings, is handicapped accessible. Um, I know the, there's a couple churches that also are community minded and work with people in the town to host meetings. And I know the one on Campbell and Bear is ground floor as far as like this weekend, they're having a rummage sale. So you just walk in the doors, it wouldn't be difficult to get in there. So I think generally, um, yes, there's a way to go to different town meeting or be on committees or participate. Any other questions? Just like follow up on that, Ben, if there's no other questions, that those are required, required things. And what Ernie was talking about is uh, uh, so an ADA coordinator is a position that's meant to ensure that the Americans with Disabilities Act is, is adhered to and that within the town. Like that, it's a, it's a position, it's not are things accessible according to but I don't know if they have that or not. Right. Uh, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, making sure that your town is, uh, all is and all those things are accessible are required. Because I mean, you have members of the disability community in your, in your town. Right. I mean, it's something that I could find out and get back to you on, but I, right now, this minute, I don't know. Oh, and yeah, I don't want to say I do. I just wanted to point out that it's important. There, yeah, there are two separate things. Like, is something accessible versus is there a person that coordinate to ensure it's accessible? I'll find out, but I don't know right now. Anything else? There's a long pause, right? <laughs> <laughs> it might be better, ma'am. No problem. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just want to introduce uh, Angelo Morinelli. Uh, who's a candidate for the 145th? Well, I'm the uh, assemblyman now. I'm the, okay. uh, I am there. For the 145th district, he's going to talk a little bit about his background, um, his experience, uh, what's important to the district, and then we'll take questions. Thank you. 
Um, I'm Angelo Morinello. Many of you have met me. I've been here before. I'm just really sorry that the pandemic prevented me from coming back more often. Um, last time I was here, we did discuss some challenges, and I really believe we've addressed some of those challenges. Um, my background is very simple. Um, I'm, I was an attorney. I'm a practicing attorney, only I don't practice. Vietnam combat veteran. I was the city court judge for 14 years. When I aged out of that, I ran for the state assembly, and this will be, I'm looking for my fourth term. Um, basically, as I'm going to address what your needs are, okay? I feel that number one, what brought attention to the needs and the most impactful is the Olmstead decision of 1999 by the Supreme Court, where basically the Supreme Court said that to isolate and provide services to the handicap is a form of discrimination, which actually put it on the map to start focusing on what is best for all of you. Um, community services, allowing you to be part of your decision-making process for your future is probably one of the most important assets that came out of that decision because each and every one of you that does have a handicap does not necessarily mean you're not functional, does not necessarily mean that you can't be inclusive into the community. Um, yes, there are challenges, and that is what our job is as your legislator, as your representative. One of the difficulties coming out of the Olmstead decision is the obligation of the states to provide these services. But as in many instances, New York State, which is, has, has the budget, we have to constantly fight to provide services. Now, they always put the money back in the budget, but they seem to forget you are some of the more vulnerable citizens that we have and that we have to protect you more. What I really think is we need to have the general public become more aware of who you are as a person. I've worked with the Developmental Disability Association and what one of our programs is to now begin allowing those of you who have disabilities, any type of disability, to become more open and visible to the general community. When you're not visible to the community, it becomes very difficult for people to grab onto your needs and support. Now, in the last budget, there was increases. Um, unfortunately, about 42 billion of that budget was a one-time shot from the federal government. So the one thing I commit to you is I will be vigilant in any cuts that there may be. The other issue is many of your caretakers, those that assist, whether it's in the homes or whether it's here, there was something in the budget to increase wages, but it put many of them on the cliff. And what do I mean by the cliff? Services are provided and assistance is provided based on income standards. But the unfortunate part, the way the law is written, if you earn a certain amount of money, you lose certain benefits. Well, it doesn't pay to give someone additional funds and then have them have any assistance removed. There's no sliding scale. I'll give you an example. Let's say that that, that government assistance is, equates to maybe $500 a week. Now, this is just an example for a caretaker. Well, now they're happy. They've gotten a little bit of a, they've gotten a job. They're earning 500, but they also still need a little bit of assistance on housing or food or other assistance. What happens? They lose everything. Well, it's a disincentive. So they really want to go ahead, but it actually puts them behind. So one of the things that I advocate for, and I'm going to ask all of you on behalf of your caretakers, is to try and get a dialogue going on. If you're receiving services and you start improving yourself, you don't cut everything off. You maybe decrease them to give the incentive to live a better lifestyle. So we have that challenge with both the caretakers and also that impacts your, the services that can be provided to you. 
there's things that in my years there I've been really aware of. Um, oh, I didn't see where the, who, the gentleman who escorted me in the room has followed what I've done and he thanked me because I did advocate and fight and voted for an increase in funding. But sometimes there's unintended consequences. And that's what we all have to start becoming a little more aware of. As far as your daily needs, your service providers are phenomenal. They are dedicated. Many of them do not get the rewards they need, but I know each and every one of you agrees. The other nice thing is when I see those with disabilities interacting in the community, whether it's a grocery store, whether it's on the street, whether it's even in a coffee shop or a restaurant, it really makes me feel good because we're all one and we just cannot segregate our communities. And so that's why I started out with the Olmstead decision, the Supreme Court, because I think that sets the standards and the tone. But I also believe we need that out into the public. We need more articles. And I think we need to basically show the skills that those that are handicapped still have and what their needs are. Thank you. And I'm open for questions, comments, or just sharing. Yes. Well, no, I'm saying I want that as an idea that maybe we can all work together. Okay, how do we do it? Maybe we do an article on each of you can do an article and have it put in the papers or do something on social media or have no your website shows the activities that you have. But if you're not part of your website, you don't understand what is there. So it's something that I would be, when I say don't understand, okay, I hope I'm answering your question. I just think that there has to be maybe, maybe public, public relations is the better terminology because the general public, I don't think understands. I don't think they know what the Olmstead decision is. And maybe it started with an op-ed in the Gazette that's sent to the other papers as to what the Olmstead decision is. And that can then generate into more articles supporting the agencies, maybe highlight an agency or highlight one of the areas that you have. So what I'm saying is everything we've been doing has been the same. But I think we need to focus more on you as an individual and not just the terminology of independent living. And how do we do that? Like I said, maybe you have your, your supporters' social media accounts. Now, we will post that we were here today speaking to you, okay? But I think we need more of that. Do I have the solution? No. Do I have the idea? Yes. Did I answer your question? Thank you questions come on i wasn't that good was i <laughs> but i do know some of you yes we could talk about transportation like i'm gonna say we're here a lot for years for years i promise we got funds for it at least about how long you think I've been there six years. At least six or seven years. It wasn't you to make fun. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate that. And I don't see no change. Well, and I, I know that you might not get to lead to that, but somebody at your stature can apply pressure on the people. Here, here's the challenge. It's the NFTA mm -hmm. and the state does provide funds for the NFTA, but those funds do not have conditions with them. So possibly because of your statement, it gives me the idea that maybe we put in some focus for those funds that we do provide transportation. Now you mentioned here to Lockport for years, and I'm probably older, the oldest one in this room. Okay. But 77, you got me. I got you. I know. <laughs> but the point I'm making is my entire life, I've complained about the route to Lockport. The, the, the county seat is in Lockport. Everything is done in Lockport. 
Now, at one point, they did have an office at the Supreme Court building here for at least filing papers. They've all gone to now electronic filings for court documents. But that is a major issue throughout. The county of Niagara does have that rural transportation, but it's, doesn't, it's not in Niagara Falls. It does help out in the rural areas that's funded by the county. But I don't disagree with you. But there's, they, let me tell you, NFTA has cut Niagara Falls routes. Okay? And so now it's difficult to get anywhere. So now that you've mentioned that again, okay, I'm not going to promise, okay, because listen, we have one party rule. If they don't want to do it, it's going to be an impossible, okay? But we have to keep the pressure on them. And how do we do that? We do a public relations campaign. And that's what I was trying to refer to you, is that maybe there should be a letter to the editor and to every newspaper with a number of your signatures on it, speaking about it, asking why the NFTA has cut the roots, why they don't provide transportation. And the one difficulty that probably impacts every one of you is, uh, I don't know if any of you have driver's licenses or even automobiles, but I think that public transportation and our area is probably one of the least visible public transportation areas around. They keep complaining, um, they, NFTA needs more money, but they need to restructure. So what I would ask is maybe you talk to whoever your caretaker is about how do we put something together that we can keep the general public aware because the more people that we can get involved, the more chance we have of accomplishing that goal. Uh, Mr. Marinello? Yes. On, uh, oh, I'm perhaps, sorry. <laughs> perhaps you were referring to this when you were talking about the transportation issues uh, as part of that, but I guess you're familiar with paratransit, which is curb-to-curb -curb wheelchair lift van service? Yes, I am. There has been a paratransit expansion bill in the legislature for something like eight years trying to get more funding so that instead of just being three quarters of a mile from a fixed route bus system, it's three miles from a fixed route system that uh, people that have need of that service would be able to travel to more places. And presumably that would come with some additional funding for the NFTA from the state. Are you familiar with the situation with that at the moment? Yes, I am. I believe that is Tim Ke Senator Kennedy's bill in the Senate. Um, I don't know the bill number in the assembly, but if somebody has the bill number, I would be happy to look it up and then next year try and work on it. But I am familiar with, first of all, the challenge that those of you who have the disability to get from point A to point B many times. And it's not so much the main route I think you're talking about, but I believe what you're focusing on is the ability to get to the main route or get from the main route to some of your care providers or your appointments. Am I correct on that? Yes. Well, um, so oh. you... Well, um, oh, there's a question here in the room, right? You want to okay. let her go? Yeah, let her. Okay. Hi, my name is Jeanette, and I'm wondering, what is your plan to help people who rent apartments? Um, low incomes, more affordable housing. Um, there's just not enough funds to pay. They don't have enough income to pay the rent. Um, apartments are costing $1,000 and up, even in the bad areas. Well, I am supporting the new project that has, is being talked about for the Presti Apartments area, which is similar to the Bethel Commons project. Um, the unfortunate part is that expenses are going up, taxes go up. So what we need to do is assist private landlords to be able to provide apartments. I agree, we don't have enough, 
But what I'm running into when I support projects like that is the NIMBYs, not in my backyard. And that is the most frustrating thing because, again, you don't exist to most people. And what I mean by that is they're, they're blind to you or your needs. So we don't prior, they don't prioritize who has the greatest needs. They just use sliding scales, but they don't look at communities. So again, I think that as a group, as a group with disabilities, irrespective of what that disability may be, you have to start getting people to understand you're humans and you're the same as everyone else, okay? So my plan is to support whatever housing can be. My plan is to try and get communities to understand. I also have a bill, this is very interesting because one of the difficulties in Niagara Falls has been absentee landlords who have absolutely atrocious apartments. They don't even know about them. And if there, there is a citation of a violation, there's no teeth in it. I have a bill that I want to get forward and our new mayor will support it. My former mayor would not support it. And what it does is it, if there's a code violation that they don't pay, it's added to their tax bill. So that now, eventually, if that gets big enough, that can be taken away from them. And hopefully we can then start focusing on include in building better stock. I do work with Habitat for Humanity. Now, that is usually single home, single family homes. And this thought just came to me because of your question. I don't want to tell you I walked in here with this idea because I always am open-minded. But maybe uh, uh, Habitat for Humanity might start looking at apartment buildings to be able to rehab, okay? And I've got a meeting coming up in, uh, I think, about three weeks with them. And I'm going to present that idea to them. And it came out of your question. I don't want you to think I thought of it before. I didn't. But I come with an open mind. Thank you. I just one last question. Sure. Okay. Whatever you want, I'm here. From what, <laughs> but, um, from what I see, I'm just speaking for Niagara Falls, it might be county, nationwide, which I probably should have Two things I see that's that's affecting the, the cities and the country as a whole is drug addiction and mental health issues. How do you feel about or what actions are you taking? Well, number one, what I'm trying to do is get people to understand that we are confusing our young children with all of the things we're putting on them. Kindergartners, first, second grade, what pronoun do you want? These poor kids just want to play. Okay. So we're creating a situation that we're causing this. We have to get away from it. Now, yesterday I, I was privileged to be part of this uh, new room they're putting in at the police station. And it's for if a parent has to, is, is taken, if they've committed a crime, they're going to get arrested. Instead of having that child just sit somewhere in the building, there's a room now that's dedicated to the children. And we cut that yesterday. What's the importance of that? The trauma of sitting in a courtroom or sitting in a hall waiting for uh, child protective services to come is traumatic. So we have to start addressing underlying causes. Everyone talks about mental health issues. Everyone talks about our youth. But is anybody really addressing the underlying causes? Now, sometimes I feel like a voice in the wilderness because I do talk about this. I talk about the fact that we can't just say things for headlines and for election purposes, which happens in every election cycle, whether it's a two-year cycle or a four-year cycle. If you do the studies, everything, I'm going to lower taxes, I'm going to do this. None of it ever happens because it's the system is too big. So what do we do? We have to start paring it down and looking at the drug addiction. I'm conflicted because in New York City, there's two experimental areas that they're allowing injection sites. Okay. 
They claim it saves lives. The jugs are chested before they let them inject them. And then they're sitting there with Narcan in case there's an overdose. I'm conflicted whether that is the way to address the drug problem or not. So I'm becoming more aware of what they're trying to do, but I'm not sure if that's the issue. But number one, I think we have to stop confusing our youth, which is where part of it is. Number two, we have to get back to making people responsible for the consequences of their actions. Our youth now, there's no consequences. If you're under 18, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're caught with a loaded gun, they can't do a thing to you. If you're caught with a loaded gun, as soon as you turn 18, your record is wiped out. Okay. So now what happened in Albany this year on the last night, well, it happened twice, once on the last night and one with another issue. But on the last night at two o'clock in the morning, they put a bill before us to, and they didn't have any information or names on it. Okay. So it was to exonerate if you did not file your paperwork, which is required as an official, if you get an official position. So six months go by, there was an election, there was a change with that supervisor. The position was open because the paperwork wasn't filed. We have to file what's called an oath of office. And if we don't file it in a certain time period, we're not, we're, we're, that position is gone. The new supervisor appointed someone else. So the person who never filed the paperwork sued. What do you think they did in Albany that night? They put a bill in to exonerate that person and say, well, we're going to change the rule for you. Okay. I have no problem changing a rule after the fact, if you discuss it and find out, but to exonerate someone who doesn't follow the rules is sending the message. We have no responsibility for consequences of our actions. We have no responsibility to the community. So, what we can do is we can start talking about it, not be afraid to talk about it. Talk about there has to be certain consequences. Listen, everyone with a disability has some consequences in their ability to have a normal life. And they chal they're challenged, okay? Now, it wasn't really codified until the Olmstead decision, okay? So now people are forced, the states are forced to have the agencies, okay? So it's a longer answer, but I think what we need to do is get back to consequences of your actions. You do something wrong, there's a penalty. No, I'm not saying it has to be draconian, <laughs> but we can't just keep saying there's no, we don't, there, it's okay, you can keep doing it, because I think that, help, that confuses. Drug addiction, it confuses them. Instead of trying to get them off and wean them off and put the money into services, well, we're gonna open up sites and you can just come in and shoot up. What is it? They're not working. They're not community uh, responsible. So what does that do to help us alleviate that problem? Sir, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You spoke about, you speak about New York City, right? I know. But they're they, trying, no, there's a bill to move it. No, I understand. I know about Niagara okay. Falls. It's a whole lot of programs dealing with, you know what I'm saying, people with drug addictions, and we offer one of them here. You know what I'm saying? Right, I know that, peer-to-peer. -peer. You have the peer-to-peer -peer here. But when you talk about responsibilities and be accountable for it, right? It's gotta be the government too, right? Because we talk about people held responsible for things, right? And we're not figuring out why the people are doing those things in, in, in the, um, to begin with. I said- Don't believe nobody wakes up every day talking about, I'm gonna go ahead and be a, be a crackhead, drug dealer or something like that. What makes a person, you know what I'm saying? Come to the conclusion that that's what they got to do to survive. Now, I don't think major cities, I don't care if it's a Democrat city or Republican city or any kind of city, I don't think, you know what I mean? We're putting the time and effort to figure out the root cause of all this stuff that's going on. If you recall, what did I start with? We're not looking at the underlying cause of what's causing it. We're looking at uh, sound good, do nothing fixes right. because they get headlines. Okay. And so if you, I did start out with what's the root cause. Okay. And I really believe that part of the root cause is no responsibility for your consequences of your actions. We just, oh, you're okay. I, I'm sorry. Is 
Sir, what's your name? I'm sorry. What's My your name's Darren. I'm, I'm, Darren. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm Are we okay? Did I? Okay. No, did I answer your question? Oh, yeah. yeah. I started out with that, if you remember, Darren. You did, but, you know, no, I, I get it. Yeah. No, I'm one person, oh, I but I need to build an army to get that message out there. So that's why I discuss it. I was going to piggyback on him. Well, when you say poverty issues, okay, one of the things that I said earlier was okay, there is no, there is employment opportunities, but if you're on the poverty scale and you decide you want to get one of these jobs, you lose housing, you lose medical. We have to change how we address the, the government and the, the assistance we give individuals. It's unfair, and like I started, and I'll repeat it, if it costs $500 a week, 2,000 a month for somebody, okay? With the housing, the food, the medical, okay? We're helping them. They go get a job and earn 500 a week, what happens? They lose everything, and then they have to pay taxes on the 500. So instead of living on two, costing 2000 a month they're living on maybe 1600 so they've gone behind we have to adjust the system how do we focus okay how do we give people a hand up rather than a handout and i do speak about this i talk about it on the floor the difficulty we have is we have a majority out of New York City that you mentioned that seem to want to control the dialogue and they never want to solve an issue. They want to create an issue and then come up with a solution that's not necessary. So if you were, if you were getting full assistance and it was the equivalent of 500 and you went to get a job and you earned 500, instead of making you go backwards, why don't we give you the, continue the housing or some of the benefits so that you're rewarded. And then as you move up, you can then move yourself out of that situation. But why should you go behind to go get a job that's not going to benefit you in the future because the system cuts you off? Okay, we've got a question from the Zoom room. Erin, go ahead. Hi there. I'm Erin Zich. I'm recovery coordinator for the A to A program here at ILNC. Um, my question to you is when you commented on the safe injection sites and yes, they're trying, they're, um, trying to expand here into Niagara and to this area, what is your opinion on with the state opioid funds that are coming through from the opioid lawsuit? What would be your opinion on where you think those funds should be utilized? Well, first of all, on the injection site issue, I did say that I'm conflicted because I've got to study it a little more to make a determination as to whether that is going to be of assistance or not. The opiate addiction funds, my feeling is this, okay, and I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a, an example. I'm a Vietnam combat veteran. Vietnam veterans suffered the most because they were brought back to an ungrateful nation because they didn't agree with the war and they couldn't recognize the benefit. There were vast suicides and veterans wouldn't talk to each other. So we started the peer-to-peer -peer program where a veteran could talk to a veteran, somebody who understood. You have a peer-to-peer -peer program in independent living. I think one of the focuses should be to expand the peer-to-peer -peer programs to expand the services to help move them out, give them individuals to talk to. Um, I know we have NA, we have AA, we have peer programs, but I really think not only do we need to focus on them, but some of those funds should be directed for physical locations in a more convenient area for those who have the need and for more assistance with either agencies and individuals in their daily functions and in their salaries. I don't think they should be going to proliferate additional usage because we're gonna give you a Narcan if you overdose. So um, and if I hope that answered your question. No, that's it, that shined a, shined a light for sure. Thank you. My pleasure, thank you. Any other questions here at ILNC or in the 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I do appreciate the opportunity. And I would hope that now that the pandemic's over, uh, that we can come back and talk more. But I'm going to give you all a challenge, okay? Think about what I said about coming together, letting people know what the Olmstead decision is, letting them know what your challenges are, but more importantly, show them that you are human beings, okay? With just a little bit of a challenge in the morning sometimes to move around, okay? We're getting there. You know, one last thing. So when Governor Cuomo first started his weekly uh, television appearances, and sometimes daily, I got an email and a phone call from the same person. There was no sign interpreter in his program. Okay. I want to say I got that done. Okay. Now I'm, I may not be the only one, but immediately I sent a letter and I contacted all of them. <laughs> Many times as an elected official, we just don't know a hundred percent of what's happening. So we need interaction <laughs> and we need dialogue and we need assistance. And by the way, thank you for staying with the Senecas. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you very much. It is my pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. This concludes our Meet the Candidates Day for Niagara County. Thank you everybody for participating. Please remember to vote on November 8th. If you have questions about your polling place or accessibility, give us a call. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening um, to this special presentation from the Niagara Frontier Waiting Service.